Welcome back to the podcast, Unbinding the Bible. This is a by-the-book episode, a conversation with David Swanson. And on the podcast today, I have decided to have a conversation with David Swanson about his book, Rediscipling the White Church, From Cheap Diversity to True Solidarity. And one of the reasons why I've wanted to talk with David and definitely encourage you to get his book is because our culture right now is very deeply immersed in racial discussions. Um, There are lots of things being said. There are lots of things being denied. There are lots of things being accepted. There are other things being rejected. There are phraseologies and mindsets that are deeply entrenched in um, the thinking of many Christians, which is where my focus is for this particular time. And I have been, if I'm honest with you, pretty saddened by the very dig the heels um, into the ground that I have seen by many white Christians. Um, And being a white Christian myself, I have really been gripped by the reality that if Jesus truly did come for those who were oppressed and really did form counterintuitive solidarity with those who were the outcasts of society, treated as less than, um, put in the position of the last, not the position of the first, then the way that manifests itself in any particular culture at any particular time ought to gain the attention of the church in a Jesus-centered, cross-shaped way. And I do tend to believe many of the discussions that have surfaced in recent months and recent years that says the white church in America has not done a very good job of integrating their belief in a crucified Messiah with the way they approach racial reconciliation or the lack thereof. And I do not critique the church any more than I'm willing to critique myself. And out of pure ignorance, I realize I do not know much about this at all. And what little I know Back to the days of Martin Luther King Jr., I'm then reminded by many people today saying, hey, look, this is the civil rights movement of our time. And the way we respond here is precisely how we would have responded in the late 60s with Dr. King. And those things sit with me and they sit sometimes kind of funny. So David Swanson wrote a book talking about the fact that when the church realizes that it's um, not diverse and not multicultural and we want to make ourselves that way, We tend to jump the gun and try to create a ministry or try to create some idea where we're going to bring in black members into our church or we're going to befriend a couple of black people and then we're going to resolve the issue. And the uh, the tensions that are created here run far deeper than that. And David Swanson's book was a breath of fresh air. It's fairly hot off the press. It was published in May of this year. And so you may have seen it or may have had the opportunity to get it and I hope you will. But one of the remarkable things that David Swanson writes about is that he says, before we get into worrying about diversity, we need to look at discipleship again. Because there are certain ways that discipleship is spoken about in the white church that allows for racial brokenness to happen and for the white church not to miss a beat. And so we need to re-examine the ways that we have been discipled to miss racial brokenness. The ways that we have been discipled to imagine that social issues are not gospel related 
and on and on and on. And so this conversation that I have with David is a great one. We go back and forth, several questions each, and he is very articulate, very insightful, and I definitely recommend his book. But this conversation you will hear is the beginnings of my journey. I am in a learning posture right now. I am very hesitant to speak overly confidently about matters that I know nothing about. And so I'm seeking to learn from others who have engaged these matters before. David is the pastor of a multicultural church in Chicago and deals regularly with matters that I only tend to read about. And so I'm thankful for the time he took. I'm, I'm hoping this conversation will be an encouragement for you. Many of you are probably farther along in this conversation than I am. And so I hope to learn from you as well in any interactions that you might choose to have with me after this episode. So I give to you this by the book episode, a conversation with David Swanson. Welcome back, Unbinding the Bible listeners. I'm excited for today's episode. We have another by the book episode with um, a conversation with David Swanson. And David is the pastor of New Community Covenant Church, which is a multicultural congregation in Chicago's Bronzeville neighborhood. He helps to lead New Community Outreach, a nonprofit that collaborates with the community to reduce sources of trauma. And he speaks around the country on the topics of racial justice and reconciliation. He's written articles for Christianity Today, the Inglewood Review of Books, and the Covenant Companion. And David lives in Chicago with his wife and his two sons. And so I'd just like to uh, welcome David to the podcast. David, it's nice to have you. Joshua, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yes, thank you. Um, several months ago, I came across David's book, Rediscipling the White Church from Cheap Diversity to True Solidarity. And it had a very meaningful impact in my life and still is. And obviously, with our current cultural climate, I think this book was incredibly well timed and definitely needed. And so I've invited David to come on to help us all be learners in the area of race, racial reconciliation how the church can be best positioned to not only think about this and to look at this, but to see real people's faces in some of things that get uh, publicized and that we can just have Jesus's posture. And so, David, I, I really want to learn from you. I've taken several notes, but I'm not sure where this conversation may go. But I thought a helpful way to begin it might be for you to just tell us a little bit about yourself and um, maybe something about your family, your personal life or your church, and then how you um, were just felt led to speak um, so powerfully about racial issues. Yeah, well, hey, Joshua, thank you again for the invitation. And I, I love the invitation to a good conversation. Um, and it's nice to uh, to talk with someone who's, uh, who's read the book. Um, I am married to uh, my wife uh, for 21 years and we have two sons, 11 year old and a six year old. And, you know, I know people's experiences are different around the country, but here in Chicago, uh, it's all remote learning, it's e-learning. So uh, that's kind of our lives these days with our, our two young guys. 
Uh, we planted our, our congregation uh, with the Evangelical Covenant Church a little over 10 years ago here on the south side of Chicago. If folks don't know, uh, the south side is majority African-American uh, side of, of the city, and our church is a intentionally multiracial church uh, for the sake of uh, the gospel. Um, yeah, so why the book? I, I think, as you kind of said in the introduction there, I... Um, I had in mind very real people as I was thinking about this. And what I noticed is that the, the people in our congregation and in our community just have a, a very different experience than, you know, friends, colleagues, family members who are in majority white spaces, a different experience of our country, of the way that our country engages politically, you know, some of the, even the policy debates that we've seen, over the past, you know, four or five years or so, um, as people in our our neighborhood or church would feel some some anxiety or some fear about, uh, you know, some of the political rhetoric, I found you know other other folks in in these majority white areas feeling excited by it or or thinking that that this was the the best course of action, and I I started to wonder why it was that these two groups of Christians. Uh, had such radically different experiences of the same sets of circumstances, and I would, you know, oftentimes question uh, these these white friends and ask them just wh- whether they were interested in these experiences uh, that that my friends and, and members of color were having. And and very often I was met with a kind of disinterest, um, or or almost a a kind of assumption that well, you know, if they understood a little bit more, if they knew a little bit better, then they would have the same position. That, that that I do. And what I realized is that um, that we in our in our white congregations and ministries, our discipleship is not necessarily leading us to a, a kind of proximity with um, the rest of the body of Christ. That uh, rather than finding our hearts moved to compassion, or even our imaginations move to curiosity about these experiences that our sisters and brothers in Christ are having. We, you know, we find ourselves relatively content in the in the segregated nature of our lives, of our of our congregations. And as I read scripture, I, I just find something very different. You know, I I find a vision for Christian community that cuts across the cultural lines of uh, of hostility and division. There's this assumption in scripture that the gospel is is so powerful what was accomplished by Jesus on the cross was so comprehensive that those old dividing um, lines had to come down and and so I just started to wonder okay well why is it that that we're not seeing that happening why is it that that the discipleship in many of our white churches is leaving those of us who are white Christians ourselves content with the status quo, and then what would what would need to change? What would need to be reimagined so that our discipleship was pointing us in a, in a different direction? Um, so that was what I was was trying to figure out, and and what eventually led to the book. Well, I'm really thankful that's the process you went through because your book was what what gripped me when I first heard about your book was this idea that you're saying, hey, 
reaching out for a quick fix or let's add a diversity element for a new ministry. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We, 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 that's jumping the gun. And, and that was, it, it kind of hit me like a wave of, of fresh air and a relief mm -hmm. a little bit because mm -hmm. we've tried some things like that. And I'm developing some friend um, relationships with some pastors in our community. And I'm very excited about those things, but I'm, I'm, I was hung up for too yeah. long on yeah. what, what is it at the root? What, why is there no eagerness? Why almost um, a defensive posture yep. or, and we'll get into some of that a little bit too. Um, I did want to read, yeah, this is how you're in your introduction. You said um, your, your claim, you said, my claim then is that in order to address our segregation, white churches and ministries must begin with discipleship, not diversity. Mm. And so in part one, we'll explore how American culture disciples white Christians toward racial segregation and injustice. Our imaginations, desires, and assumptions are constantly shaped by historically rooted and socially constructed racial narratives that result in our segregation. And then you say, instead of identifying and resisting these false narratives, most of our Christian discipleship practices have ignored them. And in doing so, we have told generations of white Christians that Jesus has nothing to say about racial injustice and yeah. segregation. Yeah. And I, I just, I, I think maybe the best way, well, first of all, would you like to comment on your own thoughts there or, or you want me to jump in with some questions? <laughs> no, please. I'd, I'd love to hear, you know, I know my thoughts. I'd love to hear your questions, Joshua. Well, that's great. Wonderful. Okay. Well, then from, from my own vantage point, I, I'm kind of coming into this over the last, I would just say, handful of years. And I've grown up um, I remember hearing in churches and even through some of my seminary talk or talking with other ministers, I can't even remember, but, oh, you know, we'll, we'll have a particular view of theology. Mm -hmm. And then somebody will bring in a look at the Exodus and someone will say, well, 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 I mean, that's black liberation theology. Right, right. It's stated as if, oh, yeah, that's that, you know, off base social gospel kind mm -hmm. of thing. Mm -hmm. And never once did it occur to me that my version of what I thought was the truth was the white right. person's perspective right. Right. on the truth. And so I think for my, one of my initial questions for you is just, and this is probably related to discipleship, but some of my listeners may not have read your book yet, and I hope to point them in the right direction. But how is it that whiteness isn't identified as white it's just right. identified as neutral or as right yeah yeah i think that's that's super insightful and and it's one of the things that really is a struggle for those of us who are white to to come to that realization it's not a struggle for anybody else you know the people of color whether you're african american latino asian american uh, you understand that every culture has its own starting points, its own assumptions, its own shaping realities. Um, but when you're in the majority culture, it can be hard to, to understand that because, you know, white culture, um, white bodies, um, whiteness as a racial construction, that the, these things are all portrayed as, as just the, the normal, the neutral, the objective. And then everything else is sort of placed on top of that and stands out in, in, in stark relief, either as being different 
or in, in the kind of worst case scenarios is being judged, right? Is saying, well, this is inadequate um, or, or this is less than um, our, our neutral perspective. Um, and, and so I, I do think that, you know, your example of, of theology is a great one for those of us who are Christians. You know, we talk about black theology or liberation theology or mujerista theology. And, and then we just talk about theology. And what we mean by that is, you know, a theology that comes from more of a European, um, you know, background and, and experience. And of course, we could, we could sort of un- unpack that into all other areas of our, of our lives as well. This is, I think, one of the things that we have to get our heads around a little bit is to say, actually, I don't have a neutral perspective. Actually, I, I'm not completely objective here. And in the same way that everybody else has their own bias or their own unique perspective or the own, their own things that have shaped them, so have I as a, as a white person. And for the, the task of re-discipling, of, of orienting um, us toward this deeper solidarity with Christ's body, that kind of self-awareness, I think, is really important. Um, so that we can come with a posture that is much more humble, you know, much more curious. Far too often when a, a person of color describes their experience in this country to a white person, the white person's instinct is to say, well, no, that can't be true because I've never seen that. I've never experienced that. Mm, yeah. And what an unchristian posture that is, Right. Okay, maybe maybe for people who don't confess Jesus, that that's okay. But for those of us who confess Jesus as Lord and who say we are now more, you know, intimately related through the blood of Christ to our sisters and brothers in Christ than we are even to our own biological family, much less this racial group that we belong to. That that response is just not okay. When that sister or brother comes and says, "Here's been my painful experience." My posture ought to be one of empathy and compassion and curiosity, even if I've never seen it or experienced it myself, to, to at the very least say, I want to know more about that. I'm sorry that's been your experience. What can, what can I learn or what can I know so that I can stand with you uh, in, that, in that painful experience, even as you set to, 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 to make, make things right? Um, so anyway, that's a long way, Joshua, of saying that, that I think that the dynamic that you're describing is very prevalent. It's very hard to see. It's kind of like fish uh, swimming in water or kind of identifying the very air that we breathe. But it is a really important step if we are going to move away from that instinct of distrust or, or not believing to a much more biblical posture of empathy and compassion and solidarity within, within the body of Christ. Yeah, that's that's really really good. And you you actually brought up the very point in your your fifth chapter where you said practicing kingdom preaching, and mm-hmm. you had you had commented about how the first impact of racial privilege on white people, how it fosters emotional maturity. And then that's the example yeah. you gave was some dismissive remarks about if if a black person shares their perspective on that social issue or that racial issue, or they honestly, David, I've been I've been reading several, uh, following several black Christians on Twitter, uh, reading through The Color of Compromise mm. by Jamar Tisby Great book. and listening to, yeah, very, very convicting. And I think you had even um, referenced several times 
um, Drew Hart's book, Trouble I've yeah. Seen. And um, I bought that last week and I'm slowly starting to work my way through that too, because I realized, wow, I grew up in an all white church, listening to all white pastors. I went to a seminary where I was taught by all white. And that's fine. I right, mean, I don't, right, right. and you, you had talked about, we're not cultivating guilt here. We're, we're cultivating, you know, reimagining and reshaping right. and just seeing what the kingdom can be like. But this idea of there being knee jerk reactions um, to, well, that can't be the perspective. I don't know if I'm pushing for this in my own mind, but it, it does keep circling back, I think, to, to identity and to security mm-hmm. issues. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. part of the discipleship process is it's okay for us to expose those areas of privilege because Jesus is willing to help us work through right. those things. Right, right, and right. In other words, discipleship gets to take a different form than it otherwise could if we just pretend that that whole part of our existence isn't really there. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, that's yeah. good. That's really good. I mean, I, I, I think that I, mean, I love how you're, how you're articulating this because if we are people who say that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the, the, the foundation to our lives, is our orienting reality, then we are okay confessing our sinfulness, right? I mean, this is, this is what gives us the ability to, to move away from that self-righteous instinct, which, which says, I know better, or I know more, or I can't be wrong, to the, 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 the posture of confession, to saying, I am a sinner <laughs> saved by the grace of Jesus alone, right? That's what the yeah. gospel allows us to do. But, but again, because our white churches have not identified uh, the racial status quo in this country as being opposed to the kingdom of God, because we've not identified the ways in which the the kind of racial hierarchy in this country, you know, exacerbates injustice and, and, um, you know, it provokes even, you know, sinful attitudes or, or decisions. We've not discipled white Christians to apply the gospel to these sorts of conversations. And so our instincts have not been discipled. And so our instincts are towards deflection or defensiveness or even to shame and guilt. And we get stuck in those places because we haven't seen how the gospel actually gives us a foundation that is more than strong enough to have even these kinds of conversations. And, and I think once we start to see that, once we start to, to disciple those deeply held instincts, that's when really interesting possibilities can come, come up, right? Because now, now that person, that sister or brother in Christ can, can tell me something that I've never experienced, I've never seen because perhaps of my racial privilege. And now instead of kind of crumbling under that or deflecting from it, I can remain present. I can say, I never knew that, or I never understood that. Or even, you know what? I'm starting to see how I might have even participated in some way in dynamics that have, have hurt you or wounded you. And I, and I can confess that, right? Um, because yeah. the gospel gives me that, that kind of platform. As you said, because our identity in Christ is not up for grabs. <laughs> that's, not a, that's not a debate or a question. That is a secure thing, not because of anything I've done, but because of what Jesus has done. So I, that's one of my dreams for our white churches, is, is particularly the, uh, those churches that, 
you know, that make the gospel so central is that we would actually see that they're central to these conversations too. Yes, that's right. And I, I know it from firsthand experience um, that I, in years past, lacked the security and lacked the confidence in who I was in Christ that I, yeah. I couldn't hear critique. And I'm not even talking about racial things. I mean, yeah, someone pointed out a way that I was selfish in a thing that I thought I was doing mm-hmm. as a selfless act. And I would get really irritated and just, you know, squirm out from underneath whatever truth they were trying to shine into my life. And only recently have I really discovered, oh, that was because I couldn't handle it. It wasn't because they were saying something that wasn't true. Um, Do you serve, have you served in churches prior to the one you have now that that's been majority white or did you grow up in a church that was okay? Yeah, well, I'm a missionary kid, and so I grew up in Venezuela and Ecuador up until high school, and so my you know my church experiences there were obviously maybe uh, were pretty different than the yeah. you know, the, the average white church in, in this country. But then in, in high school, our, our church or our family attended a you know a majority white congregation in Southern California. Same in in, in college, went to a, a Presbyterian church in in Western North Carolina, and then really received my call to pastoral ministry at a uh, at a white non-denominational suburban church uh, here outside of Chicago, a great church, amazing pastor, um, you know, really formational in my in my call to ministry. So it's really been within the past fifteen years that I, I've spent almost all of my time in, in these multiracial uh, spaces, and and then in my case, in a you know predominantly African American neighborhood. And so I think having these two very different experiences is what provoked some of this unease. Um, and particularly as I would read the scriptures and see what I, I think the expectation is for, you know, for the church. Um, and at least here in Chicago, there's, you don't have to drive very far to move from a black neighborhood to a mostly, you know, white suburb and, uh, or to a, to a Latino you know, neighborhood in our community. And just thinking, why, why is it that we are content with this level of segregation in our church? Why is it that we don't have more of an interest in the, 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 the experiences that are you know, profoundly shaping uh, each other's lives? Um, I don't think that it has to be that way. I, I think that what we find, especially in the New Testament, is a church that was willing to push pretty hard to live into a, a way of being that was really fundamentally different than what was normal in their time. Yeah. Well, and this is really why I want to listen to voices like yours and, you know, Drew Hart and, and Jamar Tisby and others who now are, are living it or who see it. Um, obviously, the latter two men are black. So that's a, a perspective I mm-hmm, really want. Mm-hmm. But you provide a nice growing hinge for me because you also know that predominantly white culture, what that's like mm-hmm, and what mm-hmm. it feels like now that you see the difference mm. um, now that you've entered into something else. And so my, my circles have always been with all white people. And it's interesting. I, I grew up Baptist and I'm now an Anglican priest and my Baptist context prior to seminary, most of the time we spent talking about the epistles, um, maybe a few times dipped in the Old Testament or some of the Psalms, but not much at all in the Gospels. And when I became an Anglican priest, 
we tend to read various portions of the scripture through our liturgy, but we almost always preach on one of the gospels. Mm. It was really interesting for the first several years. I struggled to know how to preach on the gospels. And I realized the reason I did was because kingdom of God language was not something that I grew up with. And here I am a pastor not realizing, Oh, wait a minute kingdom like that's by nef by definition community with a king you know he's dealing with life in the kingdom all of the individualistic self-centered uh ways that people will have to check at the door in order to find a home in the kingdom and so for me just preaching through the gospels has been an earth-shattering reality for me and so i I question i I have for you know so and i don't know if my people sense that i mean if they grew up Anglican or episcopalian they're used to their pastor preaching from the gospels but every once in a while i'll see something in the passage it will just scream out to me Mm. this would address racial brokenness this would address what's going on in the political scene right now this would address it's scary might be the wrong word but it's it's um almost like dangerous you like if i were to really say what i think <laughs> jesus is actually saying yeah yeah so yeah. a question i have a question i have for you is some um, as i do say things like this from time to time um i am i tend to get snub nose it and people well now you're getting right you're getting political or now you're or goodness now you're you know I, my church is predominantly conservative by way of affiliation mm-hmm. and so i will often be you know, when i push against things there that don't align necessarily with the kingdom then i'm you know i'm uh, a liberal right? right because those right. are the only two options that you could be so mm-hmm. um i wonder what what have you encountered in terms of attempting to faithfully preach the kingdom and how is that sometimes misunderstood or misconstrued as yeah. being a partisan agenda yeah yeah yeah, I mean, I, I think somebody, you know, I, I, I write about racial discipleship in this book. I, I think somebody could write an entire book on on the kind of partisan discipleship that is so powerfully at work on our imaginations in this country uh, that we we really, we don't just, right, view these two different options. Like I have option A or B, you know, Republican or, or Democratic to, to, to cast my ballot with. We we've aligned our identities with these you know with these options. We we we've kind of um, some of us have imagined a kind of moral purity that's attached to one of these two two options. Like, again, a kind of self righteousness. And I understand that I'm not immune to that myself. I we 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 know how these dynamics work, and and we know that the the more that these these partisan categories can hold power, that 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 helps certain people um, you know accomplish their their ends. But you know, to your point, I, I think when we read scripture and when we do our best to be faithful to the scripture, we're never going to fit in a nice partisan box. And as a as a preacher myself, I I constantly sort of am wondering: am I am I doing a good job at equally offending everybody, right, <laughs> including myself? Uh-huh. You know, my own assumptions right. here, right? If, if if I never preach anything that makes me uncomfortable. That that that's that's problematic because I'm not immune to to the our secular culture's discipleship either. Um, but I think about a story like Zacchaeus, um, and 
And, and Zacchaeus's response to the presence of Jesus, uh, Jesus who's been preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, his response is to give away half of his stuff. And, and then to say, um, if, 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 I've, if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'm going to make restitution up to four times the amount. Um, now, <laughs> many of us just have no theological framework for that, right? We, we have no kind of theological imagination to say, well, what Zacchaeus here is doing is he has experienced the radical grace of God, the kind of inbreaking of the kingdom of God and this new way of living, which pulls from him this instinct to make right anything that he has, he has done wrong in this very tangible material sort of way. Now, in no way is that the, the sum total of Jesus's ministry, but it's a part of it, right? That there, here's an example of, of what happens when the kingdom of God breaks into our lives. And you could preach a sermon that would go into those kinds of places and people would, would say, oh, you're, yeah, you're, you're a liberal or, or you're, you're trying to redistribute, redistribute wealth. When in fact, the, the, the message is a message for those of us who confess Jesus and what does it mean? What does it require of us to follow Jesus, regardless of the cost, to our, our, ourselves personally? I, I think until pastors especially are willing to realize that the gospel is always going to put, at, put us at odds with the prevailing assumptions of our, of our society, we'll never really be willing to to go there, to go to those difficult places. We'll never be willing to talk about, about race, for example, and the way the gospel speaks to it um, because we've been so fundamentally formed in, in some of these places. But yeah, man, I mean, Jesus makes me super uncomfortable. <laughs> it's, yeah. you know, he, he, uh, he makes me squirm. And I think that's, that's what we should all expect. Yeah. No, and that's really good. And, and I, love it especially when that happens those tend to be the the sermons that that rattle other people is the same ones where he's been rattling me all exactly week. exactly like, i'm just trying to share to you with you what i think he's saying and exactly i may be wrong and i'm okay if you disagree as long as you think i've interpreted jesus you know right you're disagreeing with me or you've got a better interpretation of what you think jesus means but um yeah so i i think you know you say a lot Throughout the book, um, about some of the dynamics about how how oftentimes white people like to be thought of, you know, in individual terms, like, well, yeah, lump me together with my racial group, and yet it's very common to group all. Well, for a white person, it's very common to group all black people into mm -hmm. the same one category. And so, what I've sensed, and I don't have a way to define this and i'm wondering if maybe you can help me think through it there seems to be a fluidity between individualistic things and social things and sometimes we think about salvation in individualistic terms not communal mm -hmm. at other times when we want to shield ourselves or whatever well it's those people and those right. people are spoken right. about in collective terms and yeah. so 
I'm never I'm very centered around what the scripture teach and trying to understand that dynamic between the individual, and what he or she may be a part of, and how that manifests itself in a collective at mm-hmm. the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, yeah, I know, and your book spoke a lot about that. We, we need to realize that discipleship is communal. It's not just this individual private. It's personal, right? Always, but it's not always. private. It's not private. So, mm-hmm. and that, that may be a mistake, but any thoughts that you have just on that dynamic and how we might think better about that? Yeah, that's, no, that's really good because you're right there. When, when white people are confronted with conversations about systems or you know, social dynamics, we do tend to appeal to our own individual individuality, our own autonomy. And yet we are quick often, not always, to, to make assumptions or generalizations about, about other groups of people. I do think that uh, to, you know, to be as, as honest as we can be, we want to say that the individual is extremely important, is, is, is extremely important to God, right? Um, and we also want to say to tell an, an accurate and true story about what's happening in our society, in our culture, in our family, we have to acknowledge the ways that groups of people work and function together and that we don't exist as these isolated autonomous islands, that we are impacted, that we contribute. Uh, and anybody who's a part of a, of a family understands this and, and, and recognizes this. I, I think for white Christians, if we are going to really engage in a biblical manner with ministries of reconciliation as it relates to race, we're going to have to understand that we have been impacted as a, as a category of people. That, for example, the nature of racial privilege doesn't mean that white people never suffer, doesn't mean that we have never experienced hardship. It simply means that we have not, in a consistent, systematic way, experienced hardship, prejudice, suffering because of our race. And that impacts us. That shapes us in a way that it doesn't shape other people. And so to, to acknowledge the existence of something as racial, uh, something like racial privilege is simply to acknowledge I'm a, I'm a part of a particular group, just like I'm parts of other kinds of groups, and that has impacted me. But I think the other important part of this is for, for those of us who are, are, are church people, the way forward cannot be solely an individualistic way forward. The individualistic way forward tries to provide individual solutions for societal realities. Racism in this country can continue to to have its devastating impact even if I never have a racist thought. Even if I never say a racist word, (laughs) racism can continue to devastate people's lives. And so... Yes, my individual role matters, but we are going to have to start thinking a little bit bigger than that as well. We're going to have to start thinking about ways of participating in God's mission that are corporate, that that kind of get, get its arms around the entire congregation and say, we're going to participate in this together. We're going to see this as an us call to action rather than something that we can we can each just kind of take on 
on our own and on our own terms. And that's, I don't know, Joshua, for you, but, but, but for me, that individualism piece can be really difficult. It can be really hard for those of us who've said um, that I, I, I have what I have because of what I personally did to own it. Um, everybody has the same opportunities in this country. Everybody has the same kind of level playing field. Um, to, to, to move from that perspective, and again, now we're back to listening to those brothers and sisters who've had very different experience, to, to one that takes more seriously the nature of a sinful society, of a broken society, of a society that does not uh, always or even often reflect the kingdom of God. Uh, that's a, that can be a big move for people to make. But once we do, again, once again, that's, I think, where the creative possibilities start to present themselves. Wow. Yeah. And that, that's beautiful. Um, because I, and that's what I've been at pains to try to figure out. How do you, again, I think Colossians 2, in my mind, helps me the most where Paul says that Jesus you know, took our sins and nailed them to the cross. Mm. But in that act, he has triumphed yeah. over the rulers and authorities, bringing them to open shame. So there's a, a interesting dynamic between my personal sin. That's right. Uh, which which is all I grew up hearing. I only heard about that part. And mm-hmm. this, this principalities and powers, these yeah. evil forces of wickedness in the heavenly places that Jesus humiliated because in that system, you know, Rome's cross was meant to shame uh, criminals and to warn mm-hmm. the world not mm-hmm. to cross Rome's path. And when Jesus willingly absorbed that into himself he mocked their threats as being right. impotent right so some some social that's right spiritual powerful dynamic was snapped in that moment if we can somehow see the interplay between yeah you know what systems hurt people people don't always respond appropriately when they're sinned against but should we expect that they would right. no so right. did a person respond appropriately probably not that system and broken structure make their choice and how they respond harder? Sure. That's right. So I, I think I'm constantly trying to help people see it again without the, the fragile posture or the defensive posture. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's take what we can take from this and grow into being able to look at another person as an image bearer. Um, in fact, you, you, I loved your chapter three was just called wounded by race. And mm. it's exactly what you're talking about here. Um, wow. Fancy that your thoughts again, just from you, right. Since you wrote this book, <laughs> you said on page, um, on page 46, you said it was sinful attempts to dehumanize fellow image bearers of God for economic gain that led Europeans to develop complicated and constantly shifting theories of racial difference. Yeah. Um, which again, after reading the color of compromise, I, I realized we, we need to work through how we think we aren't necessarily caught in some of the same mindsets still that uh-huh. and many of those who've come before us were caught in. But then you say this, and this will lead to, a, to my next question, but racism is prejudice based on socially constructed differences in order to benefit some while oppressing others. Anyone can be prejudiced. But in the American story, only those with access to the controlling power of whiteness can be racist. Yeah. Um, I'm hearing this kind of 
term more and more, the racist as it applies to structural power and advantage for some over against others. And the pushback I get, I mean, volatile at times, but the pushback is, well, now it's reverse racism. And now it's, you are a racist and I'm not a racist because as you say too, you know, we tend to have a Klux Klan member or a torch wielding mm-hmm. white nationalist mm-hmm. that's our our token racist, and certainly we aren't one of those. Um, is this related to the individualistic world that we're in, where we demand that the word racist can only apply to an individual action, or how, how do we mm-hmm. how do we navigate through this mess? Because it's really sticky. I think it absolutely has to do with that individualism piece. For for one, if you can't prove that the person had a racist motive, then how do you know that they're actually racist? Um, even even if their actions have shown time and time again um, a, a kind of racist perspective or or goal, if if your vision is is completely individualistic, then you still are looking for that smoking gun in order to say, well, this, this person is acting in, in a racist manner. That's, that's deeply problematic because, again, that racism can, can continue unabated um, from that individualistic perspective. But the other problem here is that, it, that, 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 that highly individualist perspective keeps us from understanding how, how power is, is functioning to, to damage people and, and, and their communities. Um, so, so that if if um you know if if racism is only about a kind of prejudice based on biology or you know s- you know skin skin color um then we can completely ignore the the societal dynamics that are continuing to harm people or continue to damage people i mean by by every metric that that we can imagine um, the racial hierarchy is is still in place today. You know, white people are uh, you know have 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 longer lifespans, have a far greater access to to generational wealth. Um, you know, again, we can go on on the list. You know, black mothers far more likely to die in childbirth than than white mothers. Uh, black and indigenous men far more likely to to be killed uh, by law enforcement. We can go on and on with with these metrics. If our view is only individualized, we're never going to understand the the kind of the way that sin um, gets worked into our society, gets worked into to to our structures, and and, and we're going to think that somehow we are not impacted um, by that. When in fact, sinful people create sinful societies, sinful structures, sinful systems. And so it should be no surprise to us that our, 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 our society status quos have been infected with our, own, with our own sin. So for me, that's why it's important to include that power element when we're talking about racism. Again, any of us as individuals can be prejudiced, can be biased, but it's important to acknowledge that those of us who have access to our society's powers um, have have an ability, a disproportionate ability to harm uh, somebody else, to participate in a system that is harming someone else, even while it might be benefiting me. So it's not to create a hierarchy of sins. You know, someone who's prejudiced based on sin color 
skin color, regardless of their own race or ethnicity, that's still a sinful act, but it's to try to help us see more accurately what we're up against and what the ministry of reconciliation and justice really will require of us, which involves individuals, but also has to take into account um, something bigger than that. I mean, here's the thing. I just want us to see the gospel as being big. I want us to understand that when Jesus, the passage that you just read, when Jesus resurrected, yes, he died for my individual sins. Thanks be to God. But he triumphed over the universe. You know, he's reigning over the cosmos. He's placing all of God's enemies under his feet. And and so I, I want us to have that gospel in mind so that when we start talking about the systems of this world, which are harming people, we realize, you know what? The gospel is big enough for that as well. And yeah, maybe our view of sin has to increase as well because it's not just individual sin that we have to talk about now. We have to talk about the way that it's worked its way into our, our society. But guess what? Jesus rules over that too. You know, his lordship is big enough for that as well. So we don't have to be afraid to, to kind of be led deeper into, into the truth. Yes. Oh, that's that's wonderful because we're right. We don't have to be afraid and everything gets bigger. So you're right. We see sin is bigger, right. but grace is also bigger. Yes. And the, kingdom, the kingdom is bigger. Yes. And um, it just, but to, to see, to be um, confident enough and secure enough in who we are to be able to know we're just a part of that. We're not at the top of the list there. We're just, we get to be yep. invited in yep. along with with everyone else. So I've got a couple practical questions just as we, as we wrap up, I'm really intrigued by your um, new community outreach that you, you lead and um, just that you help uh, reduce sources of trauma. Yeah. You talk with us a little bit about what some of, of what you've written and we've just talked about for 45 minutes or so. What does that look like on the ground for you? Yeah, so so our church is uh, again located in a um, on the south side of, of the city in a in an area of the city that has experienced over the years lots of disinvestment, intentional segregation. Um, you know, schools that have been closed, public schools have been closed at a disproportionate rate. On and on and on. You know, the, these are the impacts of of systemic racism that get lived and experienced in in our community. Um, and so there's lots of, of great churches, black churches who've been doing amazing work over the generations. There's nonprofits, there's businesses. Um, and, and so we've been just partnering, you know, over the years, our church with these churches and organizations. And eventually we realized that there was a, a kind of a lane for us around uh, youth who'd experienced trauma. Um, a lot of gun violence, but, but not just. and. And so we've we've built a nonprofit around this collaborative mentality of working with our neighbors, working with other churches, um, but but creating a, a a particular place for youth who have experienced trauma to come together in a in a safe environment. Um, we we do some restorative justice practices where we you know we we create these safe environments for for students to articulate what they've experienced in life. Uh, what they're hoping for, where they desire to go, um, and and then we 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 get to kind of walk with them and, and work with them as they start to kind of envision their futures. We um, you know we bring in different different experts that 
you know, kind of bring different skills for them to, to be growing into. Um, so that it's super exciting. These, these are, these young people are, are absolutely amazing and it's a, it's a gift to get to work with them. We do some other stuff in the community as well. Uh, we, we manage a community garden and uh, with, with COVID uh, this year, we've just been trying to grow as much produce as, as we can um, to distribute to, to our friends and neighbors. And uh, we've collaborated with another farmer um, who's, who's also been providing produce as well. So that's been really uh, a really kind of, for me, a little glimpse of the kingdom of God uh, this, this summer in the middle of a lot of difficult circumstances. But yeah, I think for me personally, it's just, a, it's an opportunity to, you know, to be present with our neighbors, um, to live into the kingdom of God that we proclaim has already broken into our world and, and to see how the gospel has these, these really enfleshed, you know, uh, dynamics to it. Right. Yeah. And what, what have been some of the pleasant joys that you've experienced being a pastor of a multicultural church that you wouldn't have been able to see or experience if your church mm. was all white? Mm. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, selfishly, I, I just see the world different. Um, it's not that my own, my, my, my previous perspective was wrong. It was just inadequate. It just wasn't big enough. And I, I think I just have a, a, a wider range of, of how I, how I can see the world now. Um, when something happens now, my instincts are a little bit different. You know, I, I wonder, well, how, how are my friends feeling about this? How did they experience this, you know, this thing that just happened? Uh, what are they concerned about right now? How can their concerns become my concerns? What are they rejoicing about? And how does that become my rejoicing as well? And and so I think my view on, you know, certainly the, the tragedies in, in our world has expanded, but also the the view on, on what God is doing and how God is present has just gotten so, so much bigger. You know, I, I think one of the ways that that race disciples those of us who are white is to to think that that pain and joy are mutually exclusive. And what I've experienced time and time again in our, in our community, in our church, is that they're not. And, and that there can be times of suffering and even injustice, things that should not be. And yet the joy of the Lord is still present and available to us because, because our God took on our flesh and took our sin to the cross. And so there, there's no pain in this life. There's no suffering in this life that separates us from the love of God and from the joy of our salvation. Um, I could have told you that before, but I, I'm not sure I had really experienced it. So I could go on and on. It's a great question. Um, but yeah. I think I have been re-discipled in many ways. Uh, I, I find myself longing for things I didn't long before, desiring things I didn't desire before. I, I found my loves growing and getting bigger for um, what I believe is, is what God loves and desires as well. Yeah. Well, and that's, and that's beautiful. And I, I think I may have uh, missed an opportunity at least to begin our conversation this way, but at least maybe we'll end it this way. Right. But, but talking about discipleship and, your definition in the book that you use uh, repeatedly is just people who follow Jesus and become like Jesus in order to do what Jesus does. Yeah, yeah. And I think what's exciting to me just listening to you talk is, is what those dynamics might look like and how they bear themselves out 
in a church setting like your like your own. Um, so, so for me, for instance, yesterday I preached through Matthew 20, Jesus's parable of the workers in the vineyard. Mm-hmm. And the way I understand that parable with his statement, the first shall be last and the last first, is that I actually think it's really connected to chapter 19, where he speaks about the, uh, the rich young man um, who it's difficult, he says, for a rich person to enter because yeah, those yeah. who see themselves as first um, have a difficult time not being always first unless some injustice has occurred. Right. And of course, the man in the parable accuses the master of being unjust because he's paid other people equal to him. So when I preach that message, though, I'm preaching to an all white congregation. And we talked about this. We talked about the fact that as Americans, we tend to see ourselves first in just about everything. And as white people, we tend to see ourselves as first. Right. It's fascinating in, in your in your church. Um, do you have some I don't even know if I know how to ask this question, yeah. but the the socioeconomic, is it diverse in your church? Um, I know it's diverse racially. So mm-hmm. in other words, when you preach kingdom you may be looking at some of your members thinking, okay, you're, you might be in the last position. And so I want to elevate you to the first in the kingdom mm-hmm. over on the other side. I see somebody who's primarily in the first position and needs to be elevated. I, I would imagine that takes on a slightly different dynamic for you. Could you could you kind of wrap up our conversation just speaking to that for a minute? Yeah. Yeah. And I have to say, Joshua, you, you've asked me, um, you know, questions that, that I've not been asked yet, uh, you know, talk about this book. So I really appreciate that a lot. And I love that question. Oh, um, and yeah, we do, we do have uh, socioeconomic diversity in our church. I'll say that our church leans in, in a, a, a pretty, uh, educated, uh, direction. <laughs> We're near a, uh, a pretty large university. And so I joke sometimes that some of our folks are, are you know, we're, we're too educated for our, for our own good. Um, <laughs> but just, yeah, the nature of our location means that, that we do have socioeconomic diversity in that way. And so I would say that there are people, and I, I, say, I say this from the pulpit, there are people in our church who have too much money and there are people in our church who don't have enough money. And, mm-hmm. um, and, 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 and that's okay. So that, that's a problem, but it's also an opportunity, right? Um, because those who have too much money have the chance to get rid of some of that money um, so that those who don't have enough money will have enough so that we all have enough. Now, you know, we don't force that. Nobody forces anybody to do anything. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, right? But this is the gift, I think, of that kind of diversity that you're talking about. Uh, it's the, it's the um, you know, that beautiful phrase in, the, in, in Acts that there were no needy people among them. What an amazing thing to be known for, right? That the the yeah. abundance of the kingdom of God is manifest in these local congregations. And it's, and it's done so because we have refused to believe the lie of the American dream that to, to have more than you need is somehow a sign of God's blessing or somehow a sign that, 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 that you have you know, achieved a level of status that's only available to a, a certain kind of person. That within the, within the the family of God, we we're radically generous with each other, so that what what matters for us is that there are no no needy people among us. Um, so I mean, we could talk a whole lot about the way that race connects with economics, you know, and class and all yeah. that. It's all it's the, it's all interrelated, right? But but the the challenge um, of talking about these things in a congregation is also the gift. Because once we start to experience this alternative, 
once we actually get to actually taste and see of what it looks like to, to belong to this kind of a people, where money doesn't have the same power with us as it does out there, where, where the racial hierarchy doesn't have the same power with us as it does out there. Once we start to see that the status quo of our world is just not good enough for the church and the people of God, you start to realize just how good it is that, 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 that mm. because this is God's desire, it's going to be good. It's going to be way better than anything that our world has to offer. And so if, if I could, you know, to, to your listeners, if I could just say that, you know, if you're a white person who's maybe kind of earlier on in this journey and, and some of the stuff is, it feels heavy or it feels too much or it feels like, man, you're just asking me to, to, to feel ashamed all the time or to be burdened or weighed down. Um, my testimony is that as we trust Jesus and, and follow him and are changed by him, that we actually discover that his way is, it, it really is the best. And that the dying to self that it requires along the way always leads to a resurrection that is far better than whatever we had to leave behind. Wow. Well, that is an excellent way to end this conversation. Yes, the resurrection is our hope. and That's what we're longing for. And we can have those in miniature form all the time. Every time he shows us something new that we need to die to. So, David, this has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for taking time to talk with me. This is a pleasure. Yeah, thank you again and, and for the great, the great questions, too. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad. I, yeah, I've got lots of them. So um, if, <laughs> if any of our listeners want to want to find you, you know, online or follow you somewhere, what are you on Twitter, Facebook? How, how would people connect with you or how would you like them to? Yeah. Um, so my website is dwswanson.com and um, all the, the links are, are there to all the other social media stuff. Okay, great. That's perfect. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate this, and I wish you the best with your ministry in Chicago. And um, hopefully, we can get a few more people to buy your book after listening to this. <laughs> well, I'd appreciate that. But you know what? What's most <laughs> gratifying to me is knowing that there are local congregations who are taking steps, right? Taking steps to say we yeah. we want to, you know, we want our witness to the gospel to to proclaim this. Um, this unity, this oneness that Jesus prayed for for His church, we we actually you know want to experience that ourselves. So so knowing that you're doing what you're doing and your church is doing what what you all are doing is deeply encouraging to me. So so thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you because your book's been really helpful in just getting me to think in the right categories, and uh, as well as this conversation. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. You're welcome, Joshua. Thank you. Alrighty. Bye bye. I have to say that I really do love these by the book episodes, these conversations that I've been able to have over the last several months and now to share with you. Thanks again, David, for agreeing to come on this podcast and talk to us about race and what it means for the white church to be positioned to think critically and deeply and with our hearts about a topic that sadly um, is oftentimes overlooked. 
And um, so if this is the first time you've made it onto the Unbinding the Bible podcast and you found this just because of the conversation with David Swanson, then I'd like to welcome you. And I'm glad that you found the podcast. would like to let you know that the nature of this podcast and one of the reasons why I brought David on is because I want us to see as Christians the way that that Jesus encourages us to reinterpret um, our lives as well as even reinterpreting the way we understand the scriptures. And so the nature of unbinding the Bible is to follow Jesus's um, train of thought and go back into the Old Testament and follow the storyline all the way through the Bible um, to challenge us in the way that we think about the world and the way that we think about him and the way that we think about ourselves and our place in the world. And so you may have noticed as you clicked on the link for this episode that we are in fact right in the middle of a series on the book of Revelation. There are a few places in the Bible, in my opinion, where more um, wildly differing interpretations surface than in a book like Revelation. And it's my conviction that the reason that's the case is because so few people actually read the Old Testament correctly and therefore are unprepared to handle many of John's images that he presents us with in the book of Revelation. But I would invite you to go back to episode 39, which is the introduction to the book of Revelation. Or of course, I would love it if you'd go all the way back to the beginning of the podcast, as many of the things we talk about there, I've built on from the beginning of the podcast moving forward. So would love it if you would um, subscribe or leave a rating or a review or both and um, look for more episodes coming up in the future. All right, Unbinding the Bible listeners, hope you have a fantastic week. Talk to you next time.